Welcome to another episode of Three Men and a War Game. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm going to do my best to not be starstruck tonight. <laughs> uh, I am Kevin, uh, a.k.a. Chops, and I am deeply afraid for my wallet tonight. <laughs> and I am Chris, a.k.a. Potter, and I am just glad that Paul's awake so we can record. Oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> About about eight thirty, I did look at my watch and go, "Oh man, it's a whole half hour until we start." Um, and I have to stay awake. But uh, tonight is uh, a, a, actually a very exciting uh, episode for us. Uh, we have a very special guest with us, um, and that is Jay Larson, uh, host of of Chain Attack. Um, because tonight we're going to talk about War Machine. But before we get too far into that. Uh, Jay, why don't you uh, take a moment, introduce yourself, and uh, let us know how you got to where you are gaming-wise. Um, sure. So I'm I'm Jay Larson, and kind of my gaming background. I, um, you know, my my family always enjoyed playing cards, and I was I was the youngest of six kids, and so we'd play rook, and then knuckle and then my my brother my older brother um introduced me to uh other types of games uh he would come back from the navy and i, I would still be in school and we would play uh stuff like avalon hill uh, titan or uh stuff like that and then he one one time he brought home a, a box of, of magic and that was this was when unlimited was released uh it was he, arabian nights was when i started playing magic so this is like in the, the dark ages of, of gaming but you know I, I played magic i enjoyed that um started doing after in college started doing board gaming enjoyed that and Honestly, I in in high school I I bought a forty k army of of Eldar, and a few months after I bought my army, the uh, the rules a new edition came out, and <laughs> that's the know, way it always happens. Yeah, half half my <laughs> army was useless, and I was like, well, well this is dumb. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I never really, uh, you know, got back into, I, I had a, a long pause in, in Wargaming. <laughs> and, and actually what got me back into it is I, I started my, my business. I, I own and operate Discount Games Incorporated. And I started that company with 500 bucks. And I bought some inventory and I just started selling stuff and reinvested the profits into getting more inventory. And, you know, I asked my sales rep, I would, you know, I was, I was willing to sell anything that would sell quickly. And so um, I, I asked my sales rep uh, for various ideas on what to sell. And one of the ones he recommended was War Machine. And so I started selling War Machine. It was, it was selling fairly well for me. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, well, it feels like I'm selling enough of this product that I ought to check it out. And so when I, <laughs> when I first started playing War Machine, it was purely from a, you know, I need to understand this thing that I'm selling. And then eventually 
I fell in love with it. And I, up to that point, when I was doing my my store and stuff, um, I was a lot more focused on playing board games and stuff like that. Um, and so that was a little bit more of what my, my history was instead of coming up through a, a wargaming background. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. And, and, and it's great that you've kind of established your uh, internet sales empire and your local empire all with 500 bucks to start with. Yeah, it, it, uh, it took a lot of work to <laughs> get off the ground. Um, <laughs> but it, um, yeah, and, and honestly, it, it seems like if someone was to ask me like how 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 can I do what you did you know I'm I'm not sure it seems like it was a little bit different time like back when I was starting eBay had a little bit different feel than what it has now and stuff like that but sure yeah so are you still are you still a big board gamer Jay uh yeah I mean I I, I do still love board gaming there's there's a lot of I it's it's really kind of a golden age for board games and there's oh. just a lot of new exciting stuff that's always coming out yeah agreed um, so yeah i i do enjoy board games um it is a little bit difficult with with running a business and with you know being married and with uh doing i do two podcasts for war machine and so it's i don't get to do as much time board gaming as i would like but yeah as i it sit is here look, a lot of fun yeah yes i sit here looking at my hundred plus board games on the opposite wall opposite to me i have the same feeling like i look at them and kind of pine for the day when i'll be able to play them more often um but yeah also very very much in love with board gaming real real quick um just as a quick and resting aside i'd be kind of curious to ask you guys uh, if you had to pick one board game that's been your favorite board game what would you guys pick uh, chaos in the old world it's an easy choice for me is chaos in the old world yes sir yep okay yeah i like that one okay um i i don't get to play it anywhere near as much as uh i would like to but i'm i'm a big twilight imperium fan okay that's a that's a fantastic game i've really liked uh fourth edition yeah, and uh, I I don't get to play a lot of board games. Um, I mean, Mousetrap and, uh, you know, uh, that, that's kind of what I'm playing right now with my kids. So <laughs> I don't I don't I don't get to play mini. I, I want to. I'm, I've actually never you know, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I, I was more of a minis gamer. I never really got into a lot of the board games. Um, but I will say that I got uh, really lucky when I was down at uh, for Christmas. I, I got to play some of the old, um, you know, TSR uh, Forgotten Realms board games that they did, and I had a lot of fun playing those, so I did enjoy that. Cool. Yeah, and if, if I had to pick a second, I'd say the Gallerist is uh, right up there in my like top two. How about you? Um, I'd have to say that probably the best board game experience that I've ever had are this is this feels like kind of a cop out saying this, uh, where it was number one on Board Game Geek for so long. But um, Pandemic Legacy season one and season two are were phenomenal in my opinion. And I also have a weak spot for legacy games, so um, that factors yeah, in. But, as well. It's really would... hard for me to argue. I haven't played season two, but season one I uh, is also among my favorite board game experiences. 
See, I was I was just talking to a friend of mine that we want to get together more, and um, we had I had run up the idea of maybe playing Pandemic Legacy with them. I would um, wholeheartedly so recommend I'm, I'm... it. Yeah, you, okay. You, you do want to like you want to be proficient at Pandemic before you jump into Legacy. Okay, um, so be good <laughs> normal yeah. legacy of uh pandemic first and you can but, okay <laughs> you can play it straight out of the box too you can play regular yeah, yeah. pandemic right out of the yes. legacy box so yeah well i i do have a copy of regular uh pandemic so i guess i'll bring that over for a trial run first yeah uh on the the this is a Sorry, a, a quick side note, but probably the game that I'm most excited about coming up is I've really enjoyed Terraforming Mars, and they announced that they're going to do a Terraforming Mars Legacy, and uh, I don't think I could be more excited for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm also excited for Terraforming Mars Legacy, and also, again, another tangent onto the Mars thing. If you haven't looked too much at On Mars by Vital Lacerda, you should check that out too. I will, like, preach that guy's name from the mountaintops though his games are incredible and i'm very 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 much looking forward to that game on kickstarter here later in the year i mean it has rover meeples i think that's all you need to know (laughs) (laughs) that does that sounds kind of fun um jay just just another quick one i know from from listening to chain attack um you guys were all in on Gloomhaven for a while, the legacy version of that. Are are you playing that, or is that just the other guys? So I have played quite a bit of uh, Gloomhaven, um, and I, I would probably guess that I've I've we're about twenty to twenty five percent of the way through. Um, I don't know if we're going to continue on because we had a, a four person play group. And one of the one of the players that was in our group passed away. Oh no! And so, I we're kind of deciding on if we want to continue on at another person, or if we want to just kind of pick a new game. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's no good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, sorry is, to hear that. It is <laughs> a a very enjoyable game and. It feels to me a lot like um, a GM-less weekly D&D campaign. It really so, does. Yep. Yeah, if, if that's something that is down your alley, then you know it, it will scratch that itch. Huh. Awesome. All right, well, that was a, a great tangent on, on board games, which actually <laughs> worked out well because our, our last episode, we had talked a good bit about board games as well. Yeah, um, which is why I wanted to hype up the gallerist a little bit because I was disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Was, so that was a, that was a good way to... My whole speech about uh, the gallerist went away. <laughs> yes, the, yeah, the game that you absolutely adored. Um, but the real reason why we have Jay here, other than to talk about board games, apparently, um, is to talk War Machine. And um, I know we haven't talked War Machine very much on the show, but but both Potter and I come from War Machine backgrounds. Um, played for quite a while, and and Potter, you were pretty competitive for a while at, at War yeah, Machine. Yeah, yeah, I was up in the DC area, and and Jay, you may know the uh, the advanced maneuver guys. Um, that's where I'm from. Yeah. They, st- of course, they started after I moved to North Carolina, but all those guys are I'm real good friends with. So that was that was my gaming group when I lived in DC. Awesome. 
Um, and then I, I played for a few years here, uh, in North Carolina never, never really, uh, competitive or anything like that, but, um, always, always loved the game and kind of drifted away with, with Mark three when, when that came out, cause I was a scorn player and, and felt a little jilted at the time, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, and then, you know, once they came out with what the, the 98 changes, uh, at the beginning of. 2017 then it seems like things came back around but the real thing the real challenge here is to actually convince kevin to buy into war machine okay um, kevin so, so go ahead i'm gonna let you guys go this should just be fun <laughs> yeah, okay i think there is one other thing i should say too and this this may or may not help is knowing where i live uh, so I live in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and I don't know the local war machine community here, but I do know that they like go by crippled system and that some of them, I know that they sent a lot of teams to, to ATC because I see their flyers and stuff uh, at my local game store. So that would be the crew of guys that I would be approaching for sure. demos and stuff, if that helps. Um, so uh, probably part of the reason why you saw those flyers and stuff is that uh, Nathan Hoffman, um, is one of the crippled system guys and he helped run uh, the ATC. And so, but there were um, plenty of people from, from Madison who uh, were, were at the ATC. And I, I just got back from Milwaukee this last weekend uh, playing there. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it was a great time. Um, so the first part of, of my pitch as to, why War Machine is a good game to play comes down to its core mechanics. And the core mechanics of it is it's a 2d6 game where you can have decision points where you can spend a resource to add an additional d6 to your dice, um, which is called boosting. And you will have your, your base stat, like say my, my mat, which is my melee attack value of seven. And if I'm trying to hit um, my opponent, um, if it's something that's easy to hit, it might be something that's like defense 10. And I'll compare those two numbers, my, my mat seven versus the defense 10, and I'll roll 2d6. And if I roll a three or higher, then I'm going to hit. Um, and if it's something that's harder to hit, say it's defense 16, I'm a 7, I mean a 9 on 2d6, that might be an instance where I spend one of my resources to boost and then rolling a 9 on 3 dice is suddenly a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, probable, realistic, you know, whatever. Um, and so part of why, in my opinion, War Machine is a great game is that it's built on core system that is well designed and that is the the dice system for this game is in my opinion one of the best that you could come up with um there there is something fun like uh in games workshop games where you you know put together your bucket of dice <laughs> and you roll it out and <laughs> and that can be fun but something that is really in my opinion uh sets war machine apart from other games is it's it's dice system and it's system where you are making decisions on 
when you're wanting to spend your resources to make it have a better chance to hit um, and, and when you're not. And, and making those choices is one of the parts of what makes the game engaging. Yeah, I think as right. a as a like a guy who loves the maths of uh, miniatures games, I think the two D six the bell curve is like the most yes. fascinating thing to me about War Machine because there you know there is no curve in Games Workshop games. You can calculate odds on a bucket of dice, but there is no curve. Each dice is inherently random on its own. Uh, right. Whereas the bell curve is a much more fascinating and predictable marker. And it's, it's the, the odds and averages. And then that ability to boost dice is fascinating to me. And, and another part that I, you know, talking about the bell curve and the probabilities, et cetera, um, you know, it sounds kind of geeky, but it starts after you play more, it gets intuitive as well, which can also be fun, but it also um, makes it, so that there's you can do things in the game where you're trying to modify your target numbers whether it's moving a model behind cover so that they have my my defense versus range attacks i I have a plus four and plus four in in a 2d6 game is huge um or there's things you can do like let's let's say i'm needing i'm currently playing a faction that uh it's it's their newest faction it's called crucible guard and they have a lot of stuff that can do debuffs. And so if if I am need to do something to really get uh, my opponent, this opposing model, killed, um, and to hit, I'm currently needing sevens, I have abilities in my army where I can try to debuff that target. And let's say I hit it with an ice cage, and suddenly it goes down from needing a seven to hit to a five. Um, and that, that ends up being a huge change in the probabilities on whether or not I'm going to be able to kill this model. And so it having not only been thinking about probabilities and, and, and how it kind of guides your actions within the game, and with the faction I'm playing right now, it has like an additional layer of like, I get to choose where I'm going to apply these debuffs or what I'm going to do and what I think is important in order to uh, you know, make it more possible for me to execute my plan. And so that's, that's something that I enjoy a lot about War Machine is that it feels like, um, you can, it has a tight rule set and there are tactical decisions that you're making that have a big impact on, on what the outcome is. It feels like I'm not a math guy. Like I've never been statistics and all that beyond, you know, just looking at it occasionally. But it seems to me like like bringing up GW and the, and the bucket O dice. It seems to me like you game design wise, like you can do a whole lot more with a two d six system than you can with a a, a single d six. Oh, yes. that's that's completely true, right? Just the nature of it, like because you roll a single d six. And it is equal odds of any number, right? right. But the, the second you roll uh, 2d6, then immediately there is a 50% chance that you roll a seven or higher, right? Like it, there, it, it, and it, it's not that like any number uh, will be rolled. It's that like that, that it instantly becomes the statistic. And then the probability is raised and lower uh, based on the amount of times you roll the dice. It's uh, fascinating. So. 
Yeah, so I I, th- I think that this that's kind of the core of why War Machine works and why it's a beautiful game. Um, the the second reason that I want to pitch to you why I love War Machine and why I think it's a, a good game for you to consider picking up. So let me let me give some background on Privateer Press and on War Machine. So way back in the day, D and D three point oh and three point five released and they had the open gaming license and it it had like this explosion of third-party companies who were making role-playing games and role-playing settings and scenarios and etc that were all using the dnd system and that's actually how privateer press got started is they created a dnd setting in third edition and it was called the iron kingdoms and it started with the Witchfire trilogy, which was a adventure that, that people could play where uh, Alexia has Witchfire. And and the reason why I bring this up is that the the design philosophy at Privateer Press is that they start with things that are they think are cool stories or that would be cool characters within their setting. And they think, you know, what how would this character behave what abilities would he have stuff like that and then that's kind of the the guiding uh principle behind what they're creating with their characters and i think the part of the reason why that's important is that if we wanted just a really solid strategy game we would be playing chess or we would be playing go (laughs) or whatever (laughs) but but we want more than that. And so, you know, right. we, we want cool models with <laughs> cool stories behind them that do sweet abilities. And and War Machine, I think, does a good job with that. Yeah. And go ahead. Uh, jump in. I was, yeah, I was going to say, like, as for me, like, um, that was one of the always the driving forces of what brought me into War Machine was, you know, there these the because I came in, you know, I think I, was, I started playing War Machine pre-Apotheosis. I think the Apotheosis was coming out next so escalation yeah or yeah escalation right around this so like seeing all these characters like you know we're starting to see all the epic versions of the characters and you know seeing the company being you know going through and progressing the characters and and moving that story along and and making them grow like that was always something that drew me into the game because of the fact like i came from gw before gw is all i knew you know, I sat on a stagnant storyline that had been the same for the past, you know, 10 years, 15 years, whereas coming to this company was so fresh and it was like the the, the story was driving the characters, the, the, the models that you were getting. And I thought that was really cool and interesting and what kept me hook on, hooked on War Machine and Hordes for so many years. And that's still true, right? Like, isn't, it is. Isn't it is still Grimkin true. is an extension of the story and aren't they like about to release a faction that's like in the storyline and it moves the storyline forward. Like the actual faction release pulls the game storyline forward. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the cool things that they announced that they're doing this year is that at the start of the year, they're going to have some, some campaigns that people will run in their stores and their kind of narrative campaigns. And based on how some of these go, they're going to be releasing some free fiction at the end of each campaign that, that kind of, gives a storyline of what's going on with it. And then at the end of it, there will be the release of the new faction, which are the infernals. And, you know, it's, it's uh, just kind of a a really cool way to, um, 
to, to create characters and to create a, a setting and and to play a game. Well, and, and that way you're getting people in, invested in that storyline and that, that further development. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, uh, so like, I remember right when the Skull Island books were starting to come out, and it was the this the 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 one about the the Stormblade unit, and it was basically just a rip of Dirty Dozen, but it was right. so fantastically done. I mean, to this day, that is probably one of the best books from a miniatures game that I have right. ever read, and the, the characters were so well developed and so well done. You you just immediately attached them. That that author did such a good job, and then now to go in and see that you know the the guy the um. The one Merc that uh, dual wielded the Stormblades is now an actual model that you can play with. Is like I just thought that was great. Like it, I had a very yeah, geek uh, moment when that happened. <laughs> a, a kind of funny story about that is I've I've met the the author of that several times. He we live not super far from each other, and he's uh, he he's he's a established writer who's who's you know good. And he, he wrote this for War Machine partially because it's a game that he, he has played. And so, and this was a character that um, I, I think he actually made this character in a Iron Kingdom's role-playing game. And so <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the, in those books, like the butcher book was really good as well too. So I, I think all the Skull Island ones that I've read were always good books. And I mean, I'm, I like that Privateer has done that to help drive it. I, I'm not as big of a fan is that they've gone as that's the major focus for moving their storyline along. Um, but I, I right. do like, I, I liked it when it was like this kind of extra piece that they gave the fluff and the flavor that, you know, no quarter wasn't doing that. The, the, the expansion books weren't doing, it just added more depth to the world and I really enjoyed it. So two more things that I'll, I'll do as part of my pitch to you um, are going to be kind of, it can be either a positive or a negative, depending on how you view it. Um, but it's it is and and whether or not War Machine is for you is is going to depend a lot on you know how you you think this would would work for you or these things. But one example of that is I've played I've I've never played as many hours as a, of a game as I have for machine. And I've, I've enjoyed that. It's, it's been great. It's been a, a fantastic part of my life. Um, but when I dig down into the, you know, why has war machine been able to hold my attention for so long compared to other games, part of it has to deal with, uh, the, the size and the complexity of the game. And, that can have a flip side and and the flip side can be that if you're a new player, it can feel a little bit overwhelming and it can also, if you're a new player, especially if you're playing uh, veterans, it can lead to having a losing streak that <laughs> can be pretty long. <laughs> right. Sure. And so, you know, if, if the complexity of the game is something that is appealing to you, then, then, then that's as a strong selling point for war machine. Um, if it's not there, it, it can still be an enjoyable game and it still can be something that you love, but it is something that, 
um, can potentially be a stumbling block. Sure. And I'll say that like, uh, I'm actually, I think attracted to more and more com complexity. Like if you look at my board game collection, just as an example, and I've got all the, the heavy hitter lightweights, right. Where I've, you know, when company comes to, to my house, I'm going to pop, pop out ticket to ride or right. Catan or Samurai or like something that's easy. I can put it on the table and I can teach people how to play it in 10 to 15 minutes. But I also have Twilight Imperium right. and Rising Sun and Fury of Dracula and, you know, and, and games that are much more complex, Lisboa, the gallerist, like much more complicated games. Um, and like, I want to play those games. Like right. for me, like those are the games that I want to play and that I'm drawn to. Uh, so the, the complexity, I don't think is a problem. I, I think maybe, maybe a hundred game losing streak might get to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the complexity is definitely not, uh, not intimidating. I think what's intimidating to me right now is just that, uh, the breadth of the game, uh, feels, you know, like I, I think the, the analogy that I wanted to bring up the way that I feel about it is the way that I felt about, uh, Defend Dota, if you're familiar with Defense, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like League of Legends, the first right. time I played those games, they feel like vertical learning curves because there's so much that you have to learn before you can even become competent. Right. Uh, and I, I think that's the the thing that's intimidating to me right now. Like, I, and I understand that that it's, that kind of goes hand in hand with the complexity you're talking right. about. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's sort of separate from the rules complexity, right? The rules complexity. Right. Is one yeah, thing. and that's. You're correct. When I when I say complexity, I don't mean the rule set because the rules behind War Machine uh, aren't that complex compared to other war games. Um, it is just the breadth of models that are within the game. That it's it's a lot to a uh, lot to have to deal with. And and when you're when you're playing a game versus an opponent. You know, one one, and this is this is also, in a lot of ways, a strength. Uh, in that, you know, I can play against my friend who's playing Cricks, and have one type of experience, and then play against my opponent who's playing Kador, and have a completely different experience playing against them. And it, on the one hand, it's really cool that they've succeeded in in. You know, creating these different play experiences, these different faction strengths, faction identities, etc. On the other hand, um, it's not like you can learn just a few models and be competent at the game. Yeah, and and actually, I think my so my sweetheart game right now is Malifaux, and while I don't think that the breadth of models is anywhere near the same, you there's I think a, a similar experience in that. The, the first year, maybe two years of playing Malifaux, you know, it, it's you have to learn your faction and right. really get it down before you can start learning everything else. So your first year at the table is basically looking at your opponent and going, your model can do fucking what? Uh, and I, I feel like that's probably close to the same thing right. that we would get yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in War Machine. Um, and I think that's fine. I think I probably uh, will try to get some guys that I play War Games with now to, to also consider trying it so that i don't have to get like you know curb stomped or sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the guys in my area <laughs> right um but i i think that's actually pro probably as as masochistic as i am about this i think that's probably more appealing than not appealing yeah i mean there's certainly um something to be said for 
if if someone is is someone who's prone to being obsessive or uh, really wanting to do a deep dive into a game, um, you know, War Machine is one of the best ones that you could do that with because there's just so much that you can lose yourself in that um, that it, it lends itself well to that. Okay. And I mean, that, that was one of my, my core objections was that impenetrableness. And I I think if it's, you know, if it's manageable and it's one of those things that you don't feel like, uh, you know, a person has to be playing for many years, like at this point, you know, I, I think a year of learning a game is probably about as much on ramp as I could, uh, I could look at reasonably and be like, why wouldn't I just pick up a newer system? Um, but I think, you know, as long as I, I, I could reasonably learn the game within a year and maybe like put a couple w's in uh, i think that's probably fine yeah and i part of the way i think as well that you um need to look at it as well is when you are learning a game like war machine in general it's going to be kind of like what you mentioned you start off with playing your friends or playing your close group of uh, associates, people local, etc., and so, and a lot of times they're going to be playing stuff, the same stuff, kind of over and over, and so you'll get to start getting a feel for your stuff. You'll get start start getting an idea of how matchups work versus what your friends are playing, and and there's going to be a larger chunk of the game that you're not, that they're not playing yet. But that's okay. Sure. Like all, all you need to be really focusing on right now, or or what's being played around you, and and that kind of helps make it a little bit more manageable, so that um, it's it's not completely overwhelming. So let me okay. let me let me jump in here and 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 ask you a question, Jay. Sure. It's for somebody who's who's looking at War Machine and and is new at it. What would be the best way to go about getting into a faction right because there are so many models yeah so um some of it is is gonna you know the the standard um uh response to that 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 people get is you know you should you should pick the faction that you think looks the best Sure. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that, but um, it's one of, let me, let me, before I guess I answer this question, let me do a little side ramble on something. Um, so Private Press also, when they started this game, they kind of started themselves and marketed themselves as kind of the anti-games workshop. And and they're kind of one of the first ones to do so. And it was also kind of during a time when it felt like Games Workshop was fucking up a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And, and so one of the things that they were like really kind of big on was like, you know what, we're not going to retire our models. And you can buy a model and feel confident that you're going to be able to play it. And that's that's fine when you're a startup company who's you know putting out this new exciting game but private press is a fairly old company now and Uh you know they keep putting out more models and and the line gets bigger and bigger and you know it it makes it a little bit difficult um when someone asks like you know how do i if depending on the faction you're picking it 
it can be a little bit difficult to say, you know, here's how you want to get into the game. Um, so, for example, the game started out with four War Machine factions. And if, if you're drawn to one of those four factions, um, you know, that's, that's fine. But there's a lot of stuff for you to pick from. On, on the other end, what War Machine has kind of shifted to now is they're releasing factions that are more limited factions, and they'll have a they'll release at the release with what is needed to be competitive with, and after release, you're not going to have many uh, releases that you're going to see down the road, um, and so. I guess what I would say is they have kind of two products that are uh, useful for that, for starting out. Um, if you do a new one, for example, Crucible Guard, they have, and, and this is a, a limited uh, release item, and so once it's sold out, it's it's going to be gone. But they have an army box that is, they, they put together stuff that is um, a really good, uh, value for its dollar to start that army. Um, for the other factions, at this point, almost all of them have something released that's called a theme box. And their purpose behind that is if you buy a starter box and a theme box, you're going to have a 50-point list. And over this last about year, year and a half, they, they went through and they kind of focused on a, a theme force for every faction um and that theme box is within that uh, uh it's not it's, it's kind of a sub faction within a faction so um for example within signar the the trenchers um are a, a theme that you could play within signar and if you buy the the starter box and the theme box then that's a 50 point list that you can kind of get going with. So with the, with the direction privateer press is heading in general, Jay, are they, is part of the idea behind the theme list to kind of help guide people um, who might be newer to the game? Uh, yeah. So coming in and, and being able to say, okay, well, I like this faction. Where do I start? Oh, look, if I get into right, this yeah. theme, I just need these guys. Yeah, so um, let me, I guess, let me, there's there's kind of three three points on this. First off, let me give some uh, background on what a theme force is. So a theme force is kind of a building guideline where it says, you know, this theme force, Gravediggers. Gravediggers is a trencher theme force within Signar, and it gives you... Um, restrictions on your list building and if you follow those restrictions then you will gain some bonuses to your list and some of them will be things like uh, your deployment zone being bigger some of them will be things or various other in-game benefits um, some other ones will be free models um, and in general uh, almost everyone plays with theme forces at this point. And, and Privateer Press has said there's kind of three reasons why they they feel like this is was the 
the right thing for them to do with their game, uh, kind of encouraging theme forces within their game. So the first one was that their hope was that it would kind of give a easier entry into the game for newer players. So if you're interested in the trenchers in, in Signar, it, it kind of gives you a buying guide or a list building guide that, that you can use to kind of get an idea of, of what you want to purchase. Um, the second reason is that it kind of creates almost mini factions, like I said, within the other factions. And there's a lot of War Machine players who don't own just one faction. And so uh-huh. their hope was that I might be a Signar player, but then I see this Armored Core theme list come out for Kador. And, you know, maybe I tell myself, you know, I don't want to buy all of Kador, but I've always thought that Mana Wars were really cool. <laughs> and so I'm I'm just going to buy this theme force That's of Mana Wars. In, I, in let me let me put before i quit playing i owned i had owned or played every single faction with the exception of ret and ret okay yeah <laughs> so i was definitely one of those people privateer yeah, was tricky yeah. into sure um and the third reason that they've kind of done this kind of goes comes to game balance and one of the things that is since they've had kind of the strategy of we're going to continue adding more models into our game one of the things that can be difficult is balancing all these you know more and more models within a faction and so by adding theme forces you know if if you just had unrestricted access to everything within your faction um with a, a huge number of models and there's just like this inevitable power creep that continues upwards. Yeah, and, and then so, you get like auto include models and everybody's taking similar lists correct. and all that, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. And so this kind of gives them a way to add some game balance to where it's like, okay, we, we're creating this solo and it's okay when it's played with trenchers. If it was available in all of Signar, it would be probably less okay, but it lets us make this model and the game is still functioning okay. <laughs> right. uh, so, cool. so, you can, like so even just from a design perspective, you can maybe have open up a little more fun uh, and creativeness with, with what you are putting out. Right, yeah. And, and so real quick, I, I said that there were kind of two things that that could be viewed as either a positive or a negative um one of them i said was the complexity the the other thing that um i think is important to know about privateer press um is is something that's called the cid or the community integrated development and so when privateer press started you didn't have to uh, buy a codex your your model came with a stat card and your stat card had the rules for the model and kind of what they've shifted their game design philosophy to is something a little bit more like a MOBA where they are most people now play with a app called war room and it has the stats for um, 
for each of the cards, each of the models, and you can mark your damage in it, and, and it, it works well for that. Um, but they're able to push updates so that, you know, you know what's going on with your card, with your models. And and kind of what they've um, done with the community integrated development is, so going back to, for example, the Trenchers. The Trenchers was one of the first times that they did this, and they've done this now through all of the factions. Um, the new models that are coming out, they'll release pre the, the stats for it before it goes, before the models release. And they'll encourage the players to play test them. And the players will give some feedback. And so the community is involved in um, helping develop these models. And they'll also a lot of times include some legacy models, models that were mo that were older, that are kind of related to the models that they are um, releasing in. And so if, for example, if, if with the trenchers, they, they had a bunch of new trencher models that they were releasing, and then they would also ask feedback on, you know, what, what do you guys think of uh, these older Signar models? Do you think, and, and a lot of times they would have, they would make some changes or they would say that we think these are okay. And, and then they would get feedback from those as well. And so um, the reason why I bring it up is because it's, it's important to understand that the way that War Machine is now is that it is kind of a dynamic game where they're continuously trying to improve the product. And if you look at, for example, you know, one, one of the, the hosts here earlier said that when Mark III came out, Scorn, he felt like was was very disappointing. It kind of had it fall away. Well, Scorn just went through a a CID process. They had one earlier. It actually wasn't a CID process. the The devs just did some updates that mm -hmm. that they put out, and then just recently they went through their first CID process where there were several things worked on, and they had a, a new exciting Immortals theme that came out that. You know, the immortals are these kind of stone uh, vessels that have souls put in them. And, and you know, at the latest ATC, Scorn was the second most played faction. And a lot of it was, was players who have had Scorn for years and they're excited, like, you know, excited to get a chance to, you know, play this faction who's, who's had a lot of exciting changes. And, and, and they did very well at the ATC. And so, um, when I say it's positive or negative, the, the positive of it, in my opinion, is that the game is getting more refined, more balanced, um, and improving more and more as, it, as time goes on. The kind of the downside of it is that there's some people who have felt like the amount of change that's happening is, can feel a little overwhelming sometimes, mm -hmm. um, and that it can... And, you know, just, just sometimes be tough to keep up with. Um, I, I personally haven't had that issue, but I also play, <laughs> spend a fair bit of time playing. And so, but I, I can empathize with, with someone. I mean, does it, does it give you the feeling that the game is in like constant beta or is that like dependent on how involved in the CID you are? Um, I mean, I personally don't, 
don't feel that way that it is in constant beta and and honestly they've they've been they've done this process now for about a year year and a half and all of the factions now have gone through the CID process and and on some of the factions there were some pretty significant changes some a little bit less so um but it feels right now that honestly the game is in a, a really solid place and it feels like as they're continuing to release new models it that some of the changes uh with within the factions are going to slow down some and there's not going to be you know as much of a need for for some of the the changes that they've made because it's already gone through that uh, revision process once so then as more of the legacy models are are done then not necessarily revisiting them as often yeah kind of yeah right so jason one of the things that you know i'm seeing like with these cids they these models go through stuff you know we got the ogren one for legion you know cotter had the man of war one we're getting new theme lists with these and and obviously as these theme lists help people kind of focus on what they want to buy for it, are you guys not seeing in the meta like more cookie cutter lists where people are just designing to these themes uh, as the new ones come out and then the, the the competitive game scene becomes stale because of that um so honestly i haven't really seen that at all and which is great um so one of the services that i do with my website discount games inc is that i have a tournaments page that i i host on my website and it it'll show um tournament results for a lot of the big events so i i see a lot of you know what list people are playing etc and so back in mark ii there were a lot of lists that were very very similar and you would see you know asphyxius 2 or Haley 2 or etc where a lot of things looked people everyone was playing the same lists over and over and one of the things that's interesting about the current state of war machine that i think is really cool is that part of the reason why you saw that happen in mark ii is because asphyxius 2 or sorry asphyxius 2 and Haley 2 were just so much stronger <laughs> than everyone else that the game wasn't really it it wasn't as balanced as it should have oh, been. Oh yeah, I was I was definitely a Haley 2 Stormwall player. I'm I'm yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was that dude. Right, right. And and there were if you were playing Signar, you had to ask yourself a really hard question of why am I not playing Haley 2 because there was not a good answer to that question. You know, the the <laughs> funny were... the funny thing is, is so I I picked Signar up at the very end of Mark 1 and then going into Mark 2 they were my main faction and until the very end of Mark II, I actually refused to play E. Kane and E. Haley. I never touched them until the very end of Mark II. I was Siege and Striker were my guy. Yeah, yeah. And and so part of what's exciting about the current state of War Machine is that they've done enough balancing within the game that there's there's no reason for you to say like i have to play x caster um you can play whatever you want and you can succeed with whatever you want um one of the things that um is interesting is that there is a lot of times where like right right now the two most recent 
factions that that came out of the CID process were Circle, Orboros, and Scorn. And and they're kind of the two factions that the ATC they they had the highest winning percentage. They're they're doing very well. And people will ask, like, you know, is is there power creep going on? Or is you know, private press is just trying to make a bunch of broken things and and boost up cells. And and in my opinion, that's not what isn't what's happening at all. In instead it feels to me like the game is is in a in a pretty solid balanced state and something will go through CID and there will be new models that will release or there'll be models that get revisions and people don't know how to play against them yet. Uh And they don't know what strategies they need to use yet to, uh, to play against them or they don't know, you know, maybe I need to tinker my list a little bit to, in order to have some answers versus something that's common in the game right now. And We've seen this happen over and over where, you know, a, a new faction comes out of the CID and they perform very well and then people get the experience of playing against them and they, um, they're no longer like the top performing faction. They're, they're, they're doing, having a strong performance, but it's not anything that's out of the outlier. And if you look at the, the win percentages at the ATC on this last weekend, there's like, it's, it's kind of a bell curve. There's. Uh, on the outside performing well, there's there's scorn and circle, and then there's this huge bell of factions that are like at a fifty percent win percentage. And so, I actually think it's really exciting that you could. It feels to me like honestly, the way that if 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 I was had the goal that I wanted to go to say lock and load, and I wanted to win the con, in my opinion, the best recipe for me to win that con would be for me to dark horse it and for me to pick something that people aren't playing and that they're not expecting and that their lack of familiarity versus it would be enough to give me a a stronger advantage versus kind of any other uh, tactic of what I would be going with. So it's, it's really funny, Jay. You said a lot about War Machine since we've started talking and those last five sentences got me more excited about playing it than anything else you said. (laughs) Awesome. Great. Great. (laughs) I, I, I honestly believe that. And, and let me, let me preface this with, so in we've been doing chain attack for years and years and years. And at one point in Mark two, um, retribution of Skyra was the new faction. And, we had a lot of running jokes that made fun of retribution of Skyra <laughs> and, <laughs> and also minions players. And mm-hmm. Oh man, that makes me sad. Cause those are the two factions aesthetically that speak to me. And that's fine. Uh, and in Mark two, like if you had told me that minions or retribution of Skyra won a big event, I would be like, you know, you're, you're fucking with me. I, I don't, <laughs> I would have, I would have been shocked. And, <laughs> There is no faction in the game right now where if you told me, you know, X faction won a big event, I'd be like, yeah, cool. That's, that makes sense. Um, and and I, I think that it's really cool that War Machine has gotten into a place where you can play. You know, there, there are still casters that are stronger or worse than others, but I, I honestly do feel like the 
the biggest way that you can gain a competitive advantage against other people in war machine is playing stuff that people aren't familiar with yeah experimenting and that's like that's what i do in malifaux i i play janky lists like i don't net list at all i always like like what what would happen if i put these two models together yeah yeah. and i practice that for a couple games and i figure out if it works or it doesn't work you know if i get my ass handed to me constantly i change it up um so that's really cool i'm uh i'm into that awesome yeah I think that that's, that's something that, in my opinion, is an underrated strength of War Machine right now. Well, Jay, and the, the, the other interesting thing, too, um, is that, uh, you know, we have a Discord, and, and I threw out to some of our, our patrons today, um, you know, we're talking about War Machine tonight, are there any any questions? And one of the questions that somebody asked me was, um, you know, have they fixed Mark three yet? Right. And, and a lot of people here in, in North Carolina, where we are dropped out after the switch over to Mark three, which is, which is kind of standard. Uh, I think yeah. for a lot of, a lot of war games, when they go through an addition change, people get frustrated with change and don't like it. Um, but it seems like, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong or, or or back me up on this, but it seems like right now, just overall, War Machine, despite maybe a rough launch on Mark III, um, it seems like it's in a really good spot. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 I think part of that's like the CID, you know, and and I did mention Scorn earlier, right? But right now, I mean, I mean, after coming through that last CID process and seeing how many how many uh, lists at ATC were Scorn, how many people were playing it, and how well it did, um, I mean, that's that's just pretty amazing. After you know going through Mark II and you know listening to your show week in week out and just you know imagine Trevor pulling his hair out. Um, yeah, I mean, trying were, to get scorn to work. There were times in Mark II where it felt like it was obvious that there were items, models that were either too strong for the game because the, everyone was playing them and performing well with them, or they were too strong or too weak, and you know. Trevor kind of struggled through Scorn in, in Mark II. And Privateer Press, you know, we, we would say on, on the podcast, like, you know, we really wish that they would make these changes to these models. And, and a lot of times, Privateer Press later would end up making those changes and it would be great. But mm-hmm. they were kind of slow or reluctant to make those changes because they felt kind of tied to the medium of the physical cards. And they didn't like the idea of a new player you know, buying a, a, a unit or model or whatever and having a card and being told like, oh, well, the card for that is wrong. Right. And, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's just changed now. I mean, when when you buy a new War Machine product, um, it doesn't have a card in it. And you can either play it in War Room or they have a, a free online card database that you can it's the software for it is actually really cool um you can pick any number of cards and it'll make a pdf and you can print out the cards and it'll have the you know whatever updated card you want 
Um, oh man, that you just answered a question. So one of mine was like, one of my questions is going to be that I really like physical cards, like, uh, and I have no problem printing them. Sure, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, but I don't like app management sure. for a lot of reasons. Um, so if there is that, that answers like one of my like main uh ohs was going to be yeah. I mean, is they it easy to get cards printed, and it sounds like it is. It is, yeah. I mean, they have um, they have a free rule set online. They they also have you know you can buy a book. Um, although it's probably going to have a few changes in the rules. Um, and, but I, the, the card software for their card database, I think is brilliant and it's, it's very easy to use and very easy for you to print out cards to play with. Cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, I have a, I have a habit of, uh, also as a reformed magic player, I have a whole bunch of, uh, lands from revised and I just put them into opaque sleeves and then put my printed cards over the front of them. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's typically my jam with games where you have to print the cards. So if it's easy, I mean, it sounds stupid easy to print. I'm like, no, Kevin, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Jay's right. It is really easy because if you know what list you're going to be playing, you can literally go in, check off the, the models or units, and then it'll just print those cards. So the it's cards. not even like you have to print up the whole faction whole and then faction. go into it. Oh, wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, and then if you if you're I believe um, if you're like oh hey I just have a, a starter box for uh, you know I bought the battle box for for Rhett you can go in and there's an option just to print up those cards real quick too. Cool, cool. All right, and so I have I have another question, uh, and this could be to the group because you guys have more familiarity with the game than I do. Now, admittedly, what I'll say is that you know I've I've been I've spent some time doing my homework leading up to this week reading the rules of the game. Um, and that, and the core mechanics and stuff like that. So I've gotten pretty well versed in like the, the basics, but one of the things, uh, that I'm really concerned with is, uh, the objective based nature of it. And, and one thing I'll ask is Jay, are you very familiar with Malifaux or how Malifaux works? Um, a little bit, not, not a ton. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here just to, to give you a frame of reference. So the thing that draws me more than almost any of the core mechanics of Malifaux to the game itself is the way that the objectives are handled. Uh, so the core mechanic in, in Malifaux has to do with a deck of cards, right? Right. And at the beginning of a game, you do a couple card flips to determine uh, a few things. So the, the first thing you do is you, you flip a card and then based on the suit of the card that you flip, that basically puts a public objective onto the table. So, uh, and these cycle through, like I, I know steamroller cycles too. And my question is leading into steamroller, but in, in, uh, gaining grounds, the Malifaux version of this, the, these objectives, these four objectives change from year to year, but then you also flip two additional cards and you look at both the suit and the number on those cards. And that generates a pool of private objectives. So what you have happening in a game of Malifaux, you have a maximum score cap of 10. And then you each player can score four points from the public objective. And then in secret, you choose from your pool of private objectives and you can score three points from each of those. And part of that, like, uh, very, um, I'm trying, like, it, there's just a lot of combinations. The number of permutations, right, that you can get of objectives to me is fascinating. It makes every game feel very different. Um, and I, I understand that that 
you know, not every war game can do that. But what I don't understand is the objective based play of war machine, because my limited knowledge is like, there's an object, there are some objectives and they sort of cycle around, but for the most part, if you kill the opposing caster, you win. Um, and I'm kind of that, that gap in my knowledge is something I'm looking to fill. Okay. So, um, the, first of all, you are correct that, well, let, let's say that, um, we're playing a tournament game of war machine. Um, so there's going to be three win conditions for this game. The first one you've already mentioned, um, and that is a warcaster kill. Um, if, if you kill your opponent's warcaster, you, you win the game. Um, as you do more plays, you get more experience in the game, etc. Um, honestly, it, it is still an element of the game, but it is, um, it becomes less important as you become better at the game. So it's more of a threat to keep in mind than a, something that people are actually actively going for. Yeah, I mean, they'll if if you make a big mistake, then people will capitalize it and they'll kill your caster. But um, one of the things that's interesting about it is that uh, competitive tournament players want to have a consistent um, gameplay, and the this this is kind of going in greater detail, maybe, but. Um, in order to achieve that, the best way to achieve that is doing, instead of, a lot of times with a caster kill, you have a few die rolls that are of critical importance. And if they go poorly, then your assassination will fail. And so instead, you tend to be better off focusing on scenario, focusing on whittling down your opponent's army, which is over the course of a lot of dice rolls, so that one or two bad dice rolls doesn't really matter. Um, so caster kills, uh, is still part of the game, but as you get better at protecting your caster, it becomes less important. Um, second way that you will win or lose the game is tournament games are played on a chess clock and, uh, you can do whatever you want on your clock when it's your priority. Um, but as soon as, if you run out of time, you lose the game. If your opponent runs out of time, you win the game. And so that'd be the second way. Uh, the third way, and, and this goes to Steamroller, which you were alluding to, um, War Machine is not balanced unless you're doing scenario play. And I guess to kind of illustrate that or give an example, I talked a little bit earlier about faction identities. Um, if you have a faction like, say, Trollbloods, they're they're kind of uh, a more melee can be a more melee uh, focused uh, faction who want to get in there and mix it up. And if they're playing against uh, Signar, who who might be a ranged focused uh, faction, if there isn't a scenario that we're fighting over, then the Signar player can just you know, back up all around the board, just shooting at the Trollbloods ad nauseum, and, and it's just not a fun game. <laughs> and so what Steamroller does is it 
it provides a set of uh, rules for scenario plays play and it has i think six or eight i think maybe eight scenarios and with those scenarios you put out zones you put out flags you put out objectives and they force you to kind of get into the middle of the table and fight over the table and the signar player just can't stand back and and shoot uh, at the opponent and the a in order to, when you win the game you you will win a scenario game if you have five more scenario points than your opponent um also the the games are played over the course of seven rounds and so if you hit the end of the seventh round uh you'll you'll and no one's won by scenario at that point you would check to see uh who has the most uh control points at that point um but the the scenario play is, is kind of what helps balance out the game. It, it kind of gives you, it, in a lot of ways, it ends up driving um, what you're playing over. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have any more questions about scenarios or stuff like that, but. I guess just that the, the scenarios all feel like they all give the game its, the, its own unique flavor. I guess, you know, like if I, for example, if I bought, two starters and a couple extra models, like a couple of boxes of units for my wife and I to play with just having those different, like the game wouldn't start to feel stale, even though we had the same group of models, right? Cause the, you know, a game again, just go back to Malifaux. The thing about Malifaux is like, you can bash the same crew against each other over and over again uh, with different objectives. And the, the game doesn't necessarily feel very samey. Um, and I, I, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to uh, back you into a corner or make the game sound bad. What I'm really just trying to do is dig into the replayability based on the scenario play. Um, so the core rules behind the scenarios are going to be the same in all of them. Um, and really what's going to change it is either some of, some of the scenarios have more zones or more flags or objectives they'll be placed in different locations um and that type of thing and adjusting that type of thing like you know how many scoring elements they are or where the scoring elements are placed does have a big impact on how the game unfolds and how you're interacting in playing with each other um so that does help um help with that but also a lot of the the diversity of, of war machine besides the scenarios um, comes from the different lists you can play as opposed to uh, the scenarios themselves. And so you could be playing your wife and you could make one model switch of, of changing out your warcaster and it could feel like a completely different matchup because it is All right, that's it plays cool. very differently. Yeah, see, that's what I, that's what I was thinking there as well. Is that even if you're using the same units, just changing out the caster, changing out the right. caster has such a large impact in how the game plays and feels. Yeah, that that feels a lot more like Guild Ball to me, which is another game I love. Right, where the scenario is always the same, but like you can change out one player and the game becomes very different. Yeah, I mean, right. and I wouldn't even say it's more caster specific. I mean, you can even take you know a key solo and change it in the way that that solo interacts with the army can change the feel of it as well too. 
Yeah, but you know, a, a warcaster is an easy way to do it. Uh, you know, if you're looking for most bang for your buck. Yeah, that warcaster is uh, going to make it feel a lot different. Right, because you might end up with a with a caster who's you know more scenario based versus fighting or more support or you know how they approach the game. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm currently clicking uh, buy now on a ret starter. So awesome. <laughs> well, that works. You, yeah. I did. Do you have any I guess do you have any niggling doubts or any concerns that you would like to ask with things? Um, I, I think the the only I, I don't really uh, I mean, there are things, you know, that I I can pretend to not like like I go you go. But really, I'm fine with I go you go. I just prefer integrated t- player turns. But there are games that are I go you go that I love. Uh, so I'm not I'm not so concerned about that. Um, you know, you know, there's the the common complaint. Also, the page five thing, like I did a lot of research and there's a there's a lot of turn off for me with the like page five mentality and that's it makes me a little nervous to approach local player groups but also i realized that that's a bias that i shouldn't have i should just approach the game with fresh eyes since that's not even the printed rules anymore yeah i mean i, I think one thing that's two things that are important to note with page five is first off the one that you uh mentioned is that it's they it's not even a part of the culture anymore per se. Um, and the other part is that I think it also kind of grew out of Privateer Press initially trying to market itself as the anti-games workshop. And, you know, from my understanding at the time when, when Privateer Press started, Games Workshop had like competitive scores and, and your opponent, you know, if they thought that you were bringing too good of a list and they would you know, give you knockoff sportsmanship points from you and, and stuff like that. And the kind of the ethos or the credo behind War Machine was, you know what, I'm going to come at you with the best list I can build and I expect you to do the same <laughs> and one of us will be victorious. But <laughs> there's, you know, this whole... Uh, you're you're making a cheese list or whatever that's bullshit uh and i'm i am going to try to you know build the best list i can within the rules and and frankly i think that that's a good mindset the the downside is that it uh also what you know kind of a trapping of of when of that time is that it kind of had some trappings of toxic masculinity and stuff like that that weren't that look frankly kind of strange in <laughs> today's retrospect. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I, I read a lot about it and the thing that confused me is that, you know, I, I, as I was doing research to come into this episode to try and ask some, you know, non-stupid questions, I, uh, I had read, you know, I basically downloaded the prime digest for both games and I had, you know, I'd looked um, at least through the first 40 or 50 pages of the, of each rule book, just so I could understand like how focus and fury were different from each other. Um, 
and I, you know, I, I started looking online after that and I was like, what are people talking about? Uh, like I didn't read any of this. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually had to go find like an old picture of right. you know, a Mark one rule book to right. find what the hell was going on. Uh, but you know, it, it, you still see it. Like you, you, you search on, on war machine online, you go through some forums and you still see, you know, people talk about like that, that specific topic. Um, and it's just one. It's a thing that I think, like I said, I just shouldn't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, and one thing I'll say about War Machine is, and this is true, is going to be true, I think, of any game, is that especially a war game, is that sadly or uh, conversely, possibly good, is that a lot of what enjoyment level you're going to get out of the game is going to hinge on what your local community is like. And in general, I, I, you know, I think that most local communities are good, but obviously there's some that aren't. (laughs) And, um, you know, hopefully that's not going to be the the experience for you, but I, I can say that like I have met amazing people through war machine and I've, I've developed lifelong friends and it's, you know, taking me places in the country and the world that I never expected I would go and, and helped me meet people. I, I never thought I would. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's been amazing. All right. You know, I, I do actually have another question. I thought of okay. one uh, and really I looked at my notes and I realized I hadn't asked about this. And one thing I want to know, cause you, you mentioned that, you know, that one of the ways that you lose in a tournament is, is on a chess clock. And like, I, I, so just to bring guild ball back up, I love playing guild ball on a chess clock. I think the game comes alive uh, when you play on a clock, but I also like not playing on the clock and I like playing casually. Like, do you as a extremely experienced war machine player still ever play like casual machine? Do you know what I mean? Do you ever sure. like just throw down yeah. a couple 35 point lists or whatever and just have a good time? No clock, no pressure. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, um, the last lock and load I went to, um, I didn't play any tournament games. I, they, they have a open play area that's called the iron arena. And, you know, I, I borrowed, I, I have a friend who uh, was one of the, I'm actually friends with a lot of the people that work at Private Tree Press, but um, I, because of the the travel that I've done, um, so he was gracious enough to uh, every year at Lock and Load they've been you know having exciting new releases, and so this year they had the uh, new Crucible Guard, and he, since he worked there, he got models early and got them painted, and I, I played Crucible Guard in the Iron Arena, and then. Um, went to some seminars and stuff like that. And, you know, there's one of the things that I've with my lifespan as a, um, war gamer within this game is that I've seen a lot of, I've done a lot of different play styles. Um, I've, I've been a very competitive player. I've, I've played in world championships. I've, I've won big events and, you know, now one of the things that, uh, in order to compete at that level, it takes a really large time dedication. And 
you know, in, in the stage that I'm at in my life right now, um, I'm, I'm still in, in my opinion, good at the game, but I don't necessarily have the time to devote, to be able to, to put that many hours in to, you know, be the honed edge that is needed to, <laughs> you know, win a, a really big event. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that I can still, you know, play a, a really solid game, but you know, that, that, that just is where it is. And so, you know, as I've aged or played the game longer, I, I can, um, like right now, my Crucible Guard army, it's, I, I can sit down and just enjoy, and this is one of the first times that I've, I've felt this way, but I really enjoy the paint scheme on, on my Crucible Guard army. And I, it's, it's just a, a flat black, uh, plate paint scheme that has orange highlights and they're on Tron bases. And I, I think it's, I think they just look cool and they're fun to play. And so, um, you know, I, 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 uh, sound a lot more like uh, a filthy casual than I <laughs> once did, but, um, you know, I, I don't think that you have to be like this, uh, guy obsessed with competition in order to enjoy war machine. Yeah. I think a filthy casual is what, where i'll be that that's like how i would prefer to enjoy the game yeah and i think knowing knowing that that's like a still a a, a valid way you know because a lot of what you the I, to me the public perception as a person who plays other war games is that like that's the game for like the those guys and it, right. you know, yeah. it doesn't yeah, yeah. feel that way when i read the rules so you know I, I i wonder how much of that is a public perception and not necessarily a reality where you know there there are probably plenty of people who just like kitchen table this game and you know they yeah. they can still play it and have a really good time. Yeah, I mean I I think that one of the things that makes War Machine a great game is that it can appeal to a lot of different segments of people. Um you can be a hobbyist who enjoys painting. You can be a if if you really want to get into competition, I I think this is one of the best games for you to do so. Um, if, if you want to have it be a more casual experience, then that can be very rewarding as well. And so, um, I I think that one of the things that, that can be difficult is that, and, and this kind of, again, goes back to local communities, but I've seen this in lots of different games. Um, a good, another good example of this, of communities of a game that struggles with this is magic is that sometimes there are magic communities that are uh, very competitive and a player can come into the game store and bring his commander deck or his EDH deck and be like, Hey, I want to, you know, have play a, a cool game. And, you know, all the spikes in, in the, uh, in the game store are having none of it. And they just like, thrash them and they're like <laughs> you know dunking on them like yes i you know kicked your ass and it's like sometimes those two communities can can have a hard time coexisting but it i think it is possible <laughs> and sometimes it even just comes down to talking to your opponent before you start the game yeah, about absolutely. what you're yeah. what you're both expecting out of it trying to get out of yeah. it yeah yep yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm plan I'm already planning on writing a post in the the local. There's a you know Madison War Machine yep. crippled system group. Just like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I just got done recording, and this is what I just bought. I'd like to play some games with just these four models. Does anybody like want to just throw down 
some basic games. Awesome. Do you, uh, Jay? Do you do you find that the uh, that the game scales well? Like, do you do you have to play at seventy five points, or do you feel like you know you could validly play and and really enjoy yourself at at those lower points levels? Um, so that's actually a, a pretty interesting question. Um, one of the there have been a few people in the community who've been kind of pushing to try to have like 50 points become a a more standard point level and and one of the game designers recently in in one of the facebook groups for war machine posted like hey what what do you guys think of 50 points mm-hmm. um and so i i think that 75 points is currently kind of the standard i think that there are other point levels that um can be fun um 50 points is, is an example. I, I think you can go even smaller, especially if, if you're wanting to do like a Saturday event where you're just playing a bunch of fast, fun games, then lower point levels can be a lot of fun for that. Um, one of the, the caveats on it though, is that, um, with lower point levels, sometimes you can like the, the meta of how the game's played or what's good, can kind of shift and so for example if i'm playing an army who's really good at getting a strong alpha strike when we're playing at a larger point level um that might not matter as much because the opponent has you know more points that they can absorb that alpha strike and then come back from it Mm -hmm. um as the point levels go down if i get a really strong alpha strike then you're probably just kind of screwed. Right. Yeah, it can be pretty punitive, yeah. sure. So, I mean, a, a battle box game is still a fantastic way to get introduced to the game and to uh, start learning some of the core mechanics and stuff like that. But you will slowly uh, probably want to add points on up from there. Um, but but even myself, it, it can be fun to, to go back and play a, a battle box game versus someone else. Cool. I think I'm I'm all out of questions. Awesome. Potter, are you still awake? I'm still here, man. I'm 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 listening. I'm I'm trying not to get sucked back into the game. <laughs> Do well, it. Here's the, here's so the so here's... so Jay, I mean, you, we you talked about the whole you know the to, you know we we talked about the toxic community things and, and the thing is like where I come from you know and Paul can attest to this because when I first moved to North Carolina, um you know I met Paul. We, I joined a, uh, a journeyman league, and and I was that guy that was just I could not dial it down. I, I was I was cranked to eleven all the time because I, I lived in such a hyper competitive community, you know, where we would get to the store like store open, and you know we left at midnight and we were just playing game after game after game after game after game, and it was just always prepping for that next tournament. You know, we always were playing with the gloves off, you know. And, and, but that was our group, and like we were okay with that playing with each other because we all knew we were coming at that level, and so no one was offended because everybody was playing at that level. You know, coming down here, I had a huge adjustment period that was was not good for me. Like I, I just I couldn't play the game at that level, um, and and, and keep friends in this area because uh, it was a very casual area, and I. I just know that when I play this game, that's what I do. I, I am that guy, and I don't want to be that guy. So that 
but you've got distance from that guy. I, you know, it's been a few. It's been a few games, years. Yeah, right? I mean, it's been a few years. Like you know, um, you know, I've I've played a ton of other games. You know, guilt. You know, and so I I do have that, and that's why I am kind of looking at it. Uh, you know, the all the new ogre models that are out for for Legion are super appealing. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm I'm trying to stay away, but I know I'm going to get drawn back in. Here's the deal. Just bring bring some battle boxes to Adepticon, and we'll just play some small I mean, games. I do have two of the Signar uh, War Machine uh, battle boxes, so. And bring me that Crix army. Oh, I will. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we've gone a little long on this one, but I think uh, this has been super uh, informative, um, at least for me. Um, I'm assuming for you too, Chops. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm just debating in my head: Do I go with the uh, the factory white paint job, or do I do the cool thing that I want to do, which is coal black and orange? Coal black and orange. Um, do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and and without like trying to steal it from Jay's uh, um, Crucible Guard. Uh, oh please, I, I I stole my paint scheme from uh, Charles Foster the Third, who has a black and orange Tron themed Gret army. So <laughs> Oh, I remember that army. I've seen I've seen that one posted it, on the old forums back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I mean it looks fantastic. Yeah, that was a beautiful army. I remember that I that used to, I used to have that uh tagged for when I was trying to paint something that was orange just to get ideas off of that. It was a good army. I could also do gray and purple. No, no. Like solid gray with no, purple glow would be No, cool that's too. my legion color scheme. Stop it. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if if I dig through twi- Jay's Twitter and find pictures of his uh, Tron Crucible Guard, and you see the uh, the the blacks and oranges, you'll you'll want to go with that because it it looks yeah, great. Yeah, no, I'm 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 thinking the I'm thinking coal, coal black with uh, GW the like blazing orange or whatever. That's the inside of the like uh, you know because they've got those like divots mm-hmm. on the inside of the armor, the red armor, and that yeah. that is an airbrushable army there, brother. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> I knew you would. Yep. All right. Well, it, l- it looks like we got chops into the war machine. Yeah, I think which so. is exciting. So that means mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Paul, bring me Susan's legion. I I will dig up those legion tomorrow while, <laughs> while I'm at work because they're in boxes at work. <laughs> you 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 know you have wargaming problems when you have boxes of wargaming stuff in your office. <laughs> And you don't work at a game store. <laughs> so, um, all right, well, let me, let, let's, let's go through the ending wrapping. Oh, we have good news. We have two new Patreons guys. I don't know if you know this or not. Nice. Yeah. I did not know. That. Um, so we got, so we got to give a quick shout out to uh, one of our locals here, Jesse Ward, um, supporting us, giving us a whole $10 a month, which is amazing. Um, and uh Actually, probably my oldest friend ever, uh, a guy named Tim Carrasco. He's he's given us a, a, a buck a month also, which is fantastic because uh, honestly, I've I've probably known him longer than uh, Chops or Potter have been alive. So, which is pretty awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, support us on Patreon. Find us on on. Uh, on on our social medias it's just at three men in a war game um and the patreon as well is just patreon.com slash three men in a war game take a look oh we also have a discord now um 
which is awesome. Uh, lots of lots of people talking about different games on there, which is a lot of fun. Um, again, I'll put that link in the show notes, and it's on our on our uh, Facebook and and Twitter as well. Um, so yeah, please do join the Discord. We got chats every day from everything from all your favorite war games to metal music and actual yeah. metal. <laughs> my that is my favorite channel. And and we're starting a book club. Yeah. Right. Total nerds. You guys have fun with that. Yeah. Nerds. So so Jay, if you want to come join our book club, come join our Discord. <laughs> um what what is what is what is it that we're reading? The the fifth season? Is that what it is? The fifth season. Yeah, it's the first one. Okay. Book. So yeah, the, the the That is on my reading list. Well, come join our Discord and 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 we'll move it up on your list. Because I mean, I mean, you can't go, you can't go wrong with uh, three books in a row that were Hugo Awards. That's true. So, all right. Well, well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. It's it's greatly appreciated. Um, thank you. Any Appreciate any any, any end of the show uh, shilling you want to do? Uh sure. So, uh, you can shoot me an email at jay at discountgamesinc.com. And I can give you details on uh, prices that are too good to advertise for Privateer Press and Games Workshop. Excellent. Um, we appreciate that, and like I said, we definitely appreciate coming on. Also, uh, since he didn't say it, it, didn't say it here. Also, go listen to Chain Attack. Um, it's a it's a fun podcast to listen to, even even if you're not playing War Machine. They're just enjoyable and and we're a big influence on on this one getting started so um can't thank you guys enough for for you know being something great to listen to week in week out for probably geez four or five years now that i've been listening so awesome thank you so we appreciate that um all right and everybody uh thanks for listening thanks everybody thanks jay for coming on